Hey guys, this is Bruce and welcome to another Convo Courses podcast and today it's going to be open topics. I'm just going to answer people's questions on TikTok, on YouTube, on Facebook or wherever people ask me questions about getting into cybersecurity, doing security compliance, um, do, getting into IT, making six figures, whatever your questions are, I'm here for you. I've been in this industry for many, many years. I know a lot about how to get in this industry, how to level up in this industry. That's what I've been doing for all these years. So let's get into this. Um, I got a bunch of topics. Uh, I just started working, so that's why I haven't been as active as I normally am on these on these lives and stuff. But what I want to do is I'll show you guys my screen. For, so if I get a topic here, I could just get, launch right into it. And if you happen to be watching me live, this is the, this is the best time to uh, to ask me for any questions that you have. And we'll turn this into some some uh evergreen content that everybody can learn from and that's that's pretty much what i've been doing on this podcast is um is giving the goods man letting you guys know how how it's done and um how i've been able to uh do this for many years if you don't know um i am the owner and creator of this site right here combocourses.com and uh i give out a bunch of free course material a bunch of free videos free downloadables um, anything that can help you out, but also there's paid content if you want. If you're serious about this and you're trying to invest in yourself, then you can also go to Convo Courses and get a buy an actual course where you can even correspond with me. I'm at a point right now where I'm not big, I'm not super big, so I can actually do one on ones with people for free from time to time or for a very low cost if it's very serious. But um, so that is what I do. Um, but if you want uh, tons of free stuff, like if you go to youtube.com, um, I've got so much free content there. I've been doing this for years. I've got literally four years worth of content there where I talk about how to get into cybersecurity, how to work remotely, how to get into uh, security compliance and some other fields like uh, cybersecurity uh, assessments. Because so, I've been doing assessments for many years as well, risk analysis um, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, I've got my first question here. Like I said, open topics. That's why we're going to keep this. Um, Martin says, what is the major item I should focus on in 853 Rev 7 compared to 4? Um, so the biggest difference, Martin, between um, Rev 5 and Rev 4, from my understanding, from what I've gathered, um, working with the government, working with uh, private sector, is privacy. They treat privacy a little bit different. In Rev 4, for the most part, it's mostly the same. There's a couple withdrawals and then they kind of merged a couple of, they will, they'll like withdraw like SC3 uh, and then they'll merge it with S, uh, R, 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 um, RA5 or something like that. They've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff. That was just an example off the top of my head. I don't know if that's the actual case. <laughs> but the biggest change is um, the biggest focus, the biggest alter uh, will be a couple things. Um, number one, they changed um, the risk management framework actually added one more step, which is prep prepare, which we already do anyway. So that's like, you don't have to worry about that. And, and that's not in 853. That's in 837. Um, the biggest thing is privacy. So the way they treat privacy is different. Like privacy is now integrated throughout the entire document. And um, whereas before in Rev 4, what they did was it had its own section, which I, I think that they're trying to lean forward with privacy. And let me let me show you. 
for those of you guys that don't don't know, um, I, I've talked about this before about privacy, but I want to show you a really good research that's at, uh, a resource that's on uh, DHS's site on privacy. Uh, they've got a really good breakdown of how privacy work, and this this will walk you through what you really need to know for risk uh, for 853. Because what you'll notice is 853 privacy is throughout the whole document. Even the name of the whole document added privacy in the very title of the of it. And from beginning to end, they integrated throughout the whole thing. Like it's in every it's more, not every security control family, but many. And I, I'm going to show you that in a second. But right now, I want to show you like one of the best tools for breaking down privacy as a whole by itself. And this will help you out with NIST as well. Okay, so if you go to, what I did was I just typed in, went to a search engine, I typed in DHS space privacy, and it takes you to this page right here. And what I'm looking for is compliance. I believe this is where they have it. Like, this is it right here. Check this out. This is this is a breakdown of what you really need to know for privacy. And then I'll walk you through like another, another item that I'm talking about for privacy. But privacy overall as an ISO, as a security compliance person or as an information security officer, information security professional, this is what you need to know. You'll do a threshold analysis, which determines whether or not a system has and what types of uh, privacy, PII, um, which is, um, help me out here, guys, what's PII? <laughs> uh, personally identifiable information. Uh, it'll determine whether or not you have PII on that particular system, number one. That's threshold analysis. And threshold analysis, if you didn't know, all it is is uh, privacy threshold analysis. All it is is breaking down exactly what um, – it, it, asks, it asks like several questions to determine whether or not you have PII on that system. That's all it is. It's, it's pretty basic. Yeah, personally identifiable information. Thank you, Martin. <laughs> I kind of had a brain fart there for a second. Okay, so then once you know that this system A, for example, has PII on it and system B does not, and system P, system C, let's say, has some, but it's a different type, you'll go to a privacy uh, impact analysis for system A and system C, the two systems with PII on them. And then those ones, what you'll do here is determine what types of uh, PII do you have on the systems? Do you have social security numbers? How long do you keep those security numbers? Do you have a date of birth? Uh, do you have uh, all kinds of PII? What kind do you have? And at what level of protection do we need to use for that system? That's what the, the privacy impact analysis is gonna do. What is the impact to our organization because this system has PII on it? And then the other one is a system of record notice or SORN. And this one isn't this. You don't have to do this for every system. This is for organizations that have a publicly facing system where it's collecting users information and they have to put like a public notice saying, hey, we're collecting your information. Here's what we're doing with your per personally identifiable information. And oh, by the way, if you want to change something, if you want to fix something, here's how to contact us. It's like a notice to the public saying, here's what here's what we're doing and here's how you can. Here's what you how you can interact with your own information. Um, so that these are the, the main steps that you're going to do for any kind of privacy information. Now, let me show you in the actual uh, NIST 800 what I'm talking about when I say it's integrated throughout the whole document. Let me let me actually find the resource that you need to go through. Uh, and if you want to follow along, I'm on the search engine. I'm typing NIST security 
controls. And I don't know if you guys will have to see the same thing I'm seeing here, but what I'm doing is looking for all the control families here. So all I did was type in NIST security controls. It's going to take you to one of the top search results is going to be C, uh, csrc.nist.gov. And I'm, I'm in rev, I'm C rev uh, five for 800-53. I'm looking for, they've got a really great breakdown that's on the website itself that I'm looking for. I really prefer that one to the actual document. I can use the document, but there's a better one that I, that I like to use. Um, man, what is that site? Let me see if I can find it directly from here. Um, actually, I think I have it linked here. Let me see. Framework. Nope, that's not it. Let me see if it's this one. Bear with me, guys. I'm trying to find the actual site that has a, a breakdown of all. Here it is right here. This is on the uh, csrc.nist.gov website. This is a government site. For you, for you guys who are watching who don't know what the hell is going on, like what is Bruce doing? I don't understand what I'm looking at. <laughs> what is happening here? So what? let me just take a few minutes, Martin, to explain what we're going. Let's catch everybody up to speed here. I got other people watching who might be interested in learning a little bit more about security compliance. So security compliance is what organizations use um, to um, protect your information. So they want to protect the confidentiality of your information, the integrity of your information, and the availability of your information. That's information security in a nutshell. That's all you're doing. So my job as a compliance person is to make sure that the organization is doing that effectively. Now, in order for me to do that, I do have to know a little bit about IT. Like I can't just come in off the street and know nothing, right? Not even a, jan a janitor even has to know what mixes to use to, to get certain stains out of a carpet. You know what I'm saying? So there's, cert there's a certain level of knowledge that you have to have to do this kind of stuff. But that being said, you can get this knowledge. It's, it's not inaccessible to to anyone. Anybody can get this information. Okay. So what we're looking at here is the federal standard. This is something that everybody has to go, uh, is, is benefiting from, I should say. If you've ever gone to the DM, DMV and you're trying to renew your license, if you've ever uh, gone to, to Target to swipe your card, Walmart to swipe your card, if you've gone to a bank, if you've gone to healthcare, if you've, you've gone to a hospital, every organization uses some level of security compliance. Now they may have different frameworks for security compliance, but they're all using security compliance of some sort because they need to um, use security best practices. And that's what this whole thing is all about. So what you're looking at here on my screen is the federal, uh, and this is all free information, it's free game right here. You can, you can follow along with exactly what I'm doing here, but this right here is the federal standards that has all the security control families, which addresses each one of the security, the best security practices to protect your organization. Whenever you hear about some of those hacks out there in the real world, whenever you hear about, oh, this organization got hacked or this organization has some sort of ransomware, the hacker got away with a million dollars and stuff like that, more than likely the organization was not doing one or, or more of these security control families. Now, what Martin is asking me is how does privacy, where does privacy come into play? So his exact question was, what are the major items I should look for in this right here, in, in this set of security controls, which is all, which is known as 800-53 rev revision five, because they went from four revision recently, revision four to revision five. And that's what you're looking at right here. As a matter of fact, if you go to this website right here, this has the most 
I mean, anything that they update will go here in SP-853B because this has uh, stuff that the, the actual document that they released months a year ago, it has stuff that doesn't that's not even in the document. So it's very updated. Anyway, so let me show you what we're talking about. They What they did with revision 5, and you can see here they have 5.1, but what they've done with this one is they integrated privacy controls throughout each one. So if, you, if I choose any one of these, They'll typically have some some breakdown of whether or not this control, for example, let's say AU. AU controls is for um, audit um, audit logs. Like whenever an organization is, whenever somebody logs in, is tracking whoever's logging into that federal system. That's very important to protect your information because they want to know who is touching that system. So if you look in here, you can see that they've integrated security controls throughout the whole document, which is a big difference between this standard, uh, this revision and the previous. Uh, that That's one of the biggest ones. There's other changes, but you said the main focus, and I would say the main thing would be privacy. Now we already talked about privacy threshold analysis and privacy impact assessments and the SORN. Those are the main things that you as a security compliance person needs to, to do. Like those are the main things that you are gonna have to do. But if you want to go into detail, if you want, if you're actually in this field and you're doing this on a regular basis, this is the stuff you need to know as far as the biggest difference. So that, so Martin, I hope that answers your question. Um, it, you can find the same stuff in the uh, NIST 853. Uh, it, it'll have each one will have a breakdown of you know what you do, the interpretation of the control, all that kind of stuff. But then on the side, you'll see privacy. It says, okay, how do you deal with privacy in AU? AU2, AU3. And so you can see here that not all of those are applicable to privacy. There's only a couple here that are applicable to privacy. Now, if you're interested in going a little bit deeper in this, if you're new to NIST 800, if you're new to all this stuff, I've got a book about this. I got to pay some bills real quick. So you'll excuse my um, desperate attempts at at having sales. <laughs> but I've got a book that breaks down everything that you need to know. And it also includes privacy. There's a section on privacy for each one of the control families. I don't go through this book is light. It's light. It's it's uh it keeps it goes straight to the point, and it goes into each family, not every control because there's over a thousand controls. It goes to each family and it actually addresses privacy in each one, all the ones that are relevant. So if you're interested in that, it's on uh, Audible. You can actually read it or you can listen to it. It's about a three-hour listen. Um, you can listen to it while you're in your car, while you're driving, all that kind of stuff. Or you can read it. If you're a reader, you can actually order the book. I actually have hard copies of, of the book. Like if you're interested in here it is right here. You can order that. Um, and uh, I've got more books in that series coming out. So if you're interested in that. But if you're not, you know, hey, I just gave you some free game. And I told you a bunch of free resources that you can go interpret it yourself. Um, and let's get into some more questions. Um, let me see. Somebody asked me what. Let me just add this question to uh, to here. Now, I've got some people on watching me on uh, TikTok. Let me ask answer this TikTok question. Brandon says, um, do you have in do you have in videos or training on Exacta, oh, any. Do you have any videos or training on Exacta uh, 360 usage? No, I do not have this. I get this question quite a bit, Brandon, and I wish I did have training on this. If anybody, if anybody uh, is interested in actually putting their training on my on Convo courses, um, contact me. If you want to contact me, it's con 
uh, contact at convocourses.com and uh, we'll, we'll coordinate. But I get this question mostly about EMAS. People are asking me where can I get EMAS training because a lot of the government stuff is going on EMAS and Exacta. Um, and the reason, okay, let, let me kind of put this into context for people who don't know what we're talking about with compliance. So these systems right here that we're talking, that we're discussing are, um, they are GRC systems. Um, and it's basically like a database that all it does is track the security compliance, um, the security compliance steps. So it not only the steps, it, it's not only tracking security compliance process, but it's also track, it can track um, vulnerabilities, it can track all of your documentation, your policies, your procedures, it can do all of that stuff. And another one is called um, Archer. Archer is another one. And those systems are being used quite a bit because they're just more easy to deal with than a, than a freaking um, spreadsheet. I don't know, like for those of you guys who know, it's it's a pain in the ass to deal with spreadsheets for an, an entire organization's security uh, compliance process. It is painful. It is it is painful, and it's a reason why a lot of people do not want to stay. But uh, yeah, EMAS is a question that I get. I do not have that training. Um, you can you could probably get it for free off off of the internet, but I, I don't personally. I wish I did. But if you guys have this training, contact me. I will put your I will coordinate with you to create the training and put it on combo courses, and we can train people together. Um, they seem they keep EMAS and oh wait, hold on I'm getting a lot of questions here. <laughs> uh, they they keep EMAS and uh, CSAM uh, largely unavailable to the public. Yes, yes, that's and that's the reason why I can't teach it because EMAS itself is not available to anybody unless you uh, have some sort of um, if unless you have some sort of access to a government system, which I do not. And even if I did, I wouldn't be able to share that. I don't believe I'd be able to share that to teach it. That'd be cool if I can get a contract to teach it. I almost did at one point, which is kind of crazy to say that, but I almost got a contract to actually teach directly to them. And EMAS came up. <laughs> it always comes up. EMAS and Exacta and all the other ones. Okay, so I answered that question. Let me see. Somebody else had a, another question. Blessed by God says, what is the difference between an ISO and a security analyst? Okay. Awesome. Awesome question. So now I've, I've done both of these things before. Um, so I can actually answer this question. It's always crazy when, when people ask me this question. Um, and I'm going to tell you my interpretation and then I'm going to show you a little bit more, more information on, on like what, where, where the industry, how the industry, uh, defines these two things. So first of all, an inf an ISSO is an information system security officer. Typically, an ISO is doing compliance type work. They're looking at documentation. They're making sure the organization is doing what they're supposed to do. It's a lot of meetings. It's sort of like a management type position. It's almost equivalent to like a program manager in, in, the, in the types of tasks that they do because they're, they're coordinating with all the stakeholders, all the people who have a vested interest in a given system and making sure the organization's uh, security posture is maintained that means like making sure that the the risk is low to the organization like if if you have a vulnerability that just came out an ISO might go talk to the vulnerability management team and say okay what are we doing about this when can you guys get this fixed and then they would go report it to upper level management an ISO is typically talking to like all three tiers of an organization they're talking to their c-level execs they're talking to 
uh, the managers, upper level managers, mid level managers, and they're talking to the organization's um, first tier of defense, like the technical people. And in some cases, they're even talking to the to the uh, customers directly. So it's communication is super important, and a lot of emotional intelligence is necessary for an ISO. Uh, it, that's where the stress comes in is because you're talking to a lot of different personality types in the organization. And um, you do need some level of understanding, not so much the hands-on type stuff that you do with other parts of information technology and information security and cybersecurity. So it's less hands-on, it's more cerebral, it's more contacting people and like that. Uh, now, the difference between that and a, and a security analyst, a cybersecurity analyst is typically somebody in a security operations center. Now, that being said, this, this is a very flexible term, and I'll show you what I mean in a second here when we go back to the screen. Um, when I was a security compliance, a security, uh, a cybersecurity analyst, I was in a security operations center, a SOC. And what we were looking for is security incidents. So we were part of the incident, uh, incident response team in that we were trying to detect different anomalies on the network. So we would sit there, it would be like looking at code on the matrix. You know, the movie, The Matrix, where all the codes going across the screen, it felt like that because we're looking at all the logs across the, across the entire organization. We're looking at firewall rules um, that have been violated. We're looking at uh, people who are misauthenticated throughout the organization. Uh, you're looking at um, endpoint device uh, logs of somebody who tried to um, try to turn off a feature, that a security feature on there. You're looking at people, you're looking at the uh, um, DDoS attacks or denial of service attacks that are trying to come in. You're looking at everything throughout the whole organization and you're sitting there and, and you're trying to determine what, which one of these items are, are legitimate. Like, cause 99% of this, the 95% of the traffic is just, it's just noise. But you've got to, you're looking for that one uh, correlated bit of information that's going to be a security incident. Like an, an example of that would be like um, somebody tried to miss, they somebody tried to log into a server, an important server, and they did it a, a, a thousand times in, in three seconds. Now, nobody can type that fast. So that should give you some indication that something is wrong. And you have tools in place like Splunk, like... Um, intrusion protection systems and intrusion detection systems and 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 uh and in um in map and all kinds of tools that are parsing the logs and breaking them down and giving you some idea of what uh, uh of a security possible security incidents and if you find a security incident you'll go through reporting of of handling that incident incident handling so that is the main difference between an iso and a cybersecurity analyst. An ISO is more like a compliance type person, a GRC type person who's making sure the organization's overall risks is lowered. And, then, and, and a cybersecurity analyst is somebody who's analyzing the data that's coming through a network. So that's the biggest difference. That being said, an organization can name a title, whatever they want. They can call an ISO a cybersecurity analyst and an analyst an ISO. Like, it's I've seen all kinds. I've done both. I've been in an organization where they they're I'm an ISO, but I'm also doing a little bit of security analyst work because I knew how to do a seam. So they were like, hey, do this seam over here. Do this arc site. So put this arc site, analyze the data on this arc site, fix this arc site system. So I'm doing like three different things, you know. So 
Um, the, but those are the main difference when an analyst has to has to use more problem solving skill because they're going to see things that maybe nobody in the organization has seen. You're going to see zero day exploits like you have to come with a lot more technical knowledge because you're going to have to interpret stuff that um, is not normal. Whereas an ISO, it's a fixed bit of information that you need to know. You have to know laws, regulations, and those don't change as much. So it's more of an evergreen type of knowledge base that you need to have. Now, you do need to know like when new cloud technology comes in or blockchain technology or something like that. You got to read up on that stuff. You do have to have some knowledge of IT, but it's not as hands-on as, say, an analyst might be. So I hope that answers your question. Um, that, that was a great question, by the way. I really appreciate those questions. Um, I've got a few more questions. Thank you guys for, for asking these. Let me go back to, I said, I was going to show you the screen to kind of give you a little bit more of an insight, but let me see if I got any more questions here. How can I contact you beyond this live? Okay. If you want to contact me beyond this live, um, what you want to do is go to, there's a couple ways. Um, YouTube is probably the best way to contact me, but if you, uh, type, uh, contact at convocourses.com. You you can contact me that way directly. Um, I'm 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 not doing any one on ones as much anymore. I have a I have a job now, so I have to you know my time is <laughs> not. I don't have the time to do this kind of stuff one on one wise. But if you want to contact me, uh, go to contact at convocourses.com. I might be able to help you real quick or or direct you to some to one of my own courses or somebody else's course that I think is really good, which I do from time to time or, or other free resources that are out there, paid resources. But I wanted to show you guys what I meant was about, um, about some of the issues that you have with like the naming conventions of jobs. And let me, where, how do you share this? Okay, there we go. Um, let me show you what I mean. So if I go here and I go to, you can follow along with me. If I go to Indeed, you can do this with Dice, Monster, LinkedIn, whatever. But I'm on Indeed.com and I'm showing you like what I mean by job title. So if we typed in cyber security, and I'll go to the next question after this. I just wanted to follow through, follow up with what I was saying here. Security analyst. So here's, let's just go to the first one here that we see. Cyber intelligence analyst, good, pretty good pay. These guys are typically a little bit more um, technical than your average ISO, a um, little bit more hands-on. And in this particular case, they're asking for SCI clearance, a TSSCI, and you have to be a US citizen for that. But let's look at like the types of roles. What are they, what are they actually doing is what I'm interested in. See if we can find it. They have the location here, not really going into details about what they what they need to do, which is annoying. I hate when jobs do this. Um, OK, that's useless. They're not telling me what you need to do. So let's go to the next one here. Cybersecurity analyst. Um, pretty good pay again. Full job. OK, OK. Responsibilities. Here's something you're going to analyze user reported uh, security manners. Man, uh, matters such as suspicious emails, unusual login activity. See what I'm saying? So with security analyst work, you're analyzing logs, you're, anal you're looking at, uh, you're responding to security alerts, and sometimes you have to research or resolve those items. You're not doing this type of stuff typically with an ISO type position, but you it, sometimes they'll mix it up. Let me show you what I mean. So if we went, we just type in ISO, 
this is usually you need to know like compliance type stuff. And here's another ISO position. Let's go to, let's look at this. Okay, look at this. EMAS, look at that. EMAS, we were just talking about that. Um, they're looking for you to, let's look at the first one here. Ultimately responsible for the information system security program. See that program, they're not mentioning like analysis or looking at logs or any of that. Um, knowledge of EMAS and uh, DAAPM, I believe they, they changed the name of this. This is old. Uh, liaison between the government. See, you're doing a lot of meetings, government, IT, InfoSec, security. So you're doing a lot of meetings with different tiers of the organization. You're working directly with the ISO and the facility security officer to ensure that the program overall security is, is being met. See what I'm saying? So that's the type of stuff you you'll normally do as a as an ISO. So and I hope that answers your question. I kind of beat that horse dead. Uh, let me see if I got more questions here. Um, let me see. How do I contact you beyond this live? This dude's like spamming me here. <laughs> Man, go go to my, if you swipe, if you go to combo, like type my profile and I'll have some contacts there. Um, let me see. So D-Truth is saying, hey, Bruce, I have a question for you in regards to inheritance. Oh, man. Somebody else, is this you who asked me this question? Somebody asked me this today and I was I was like in the in shopping or something. <laughs> I meant to answer this one. Uh, what would be the best practice to review current controls that an organization should be inheriting from another associated enclave? Okay, so first of all, let's explain like what inheritance is. So in a good example of inheritance, let me give you a one security control family that, that's really prepped for inheritance, usually inherited. So let's go back to NIST 853. Right. Let's just kind of let's keep this very simple, very cut and dry and very um, plain so we can understand it. So these are all the security controls, right? You got technical security controls that you would maybe a technical con security control might be audit logs. You got to turn audit logs on if you didn't know even the system that you're on your phone, your your laptop, wherever you happen to be watching this. It has something where it can collect logs. And the reason why logs are important in an environment is to fix systems to catch somebody trying to infiltrate your system or see leaked data going out of your system, things like that, right? That's a technical security control that you would enable by going into the to settings of the system. Um, other controls might be configuration management. That's making sure that the organization uh, has a set standard of how, uh, of how the templates are being done on all workstations in an environment. Every, every workstation looks exactly the same. It has the same security pattern on, throughout all the same image throughout the whole organization, right? That's, and then whenever it's changed, you would go to a meeting, like normally like a, a CCB, a, a board where everybody meets up and says, okay, we're gonna change from Windows 10 to Windows 11 or Windows 11 to Windows whatever, right? Um, so that would be a, a CM. Now let's talk about one that's in, normally inherited. An inherited control would be an, a, uh, a physical security control. That would be inherited. The difference between these controls is one is a system control. That the, the first example I gave you was a system control. That's like you have to go on the system and turn some sort of security 
on the system, on that particular system. Um, that is a system level control. Then you have something called common controls. So a common control is an inherited control. That means that common meaning everyone in the organization will do X. Anybody who comes in our facility will have X security, will do X. So a physical control is typically meets this, not always, but it usually meets this criteria. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's go into this control and I'll show you. And then we'll get to your question, Dietrich. I just want to invite everybody in this conversation so that they can get an understanding of what, what we're talking about here. So common control, usually it's a, a physical control. Why is it a common control and how is it used? How is it done and why is it inherited? We're, that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, so the reason why it's a common control is because everyone who comes in the facility um, is, is beholden to the physical security controls. So if you come into the facility, you can't bring your own personal laptop into the facility. That's one thing that you might have, an, an organization might have as a rule. Um, another thing is in the facility, all systems, all mission essential systems have to be locked in an environment that are the only authorized personnel can access. A good example of that would be like a restricted area. So all those systems in there are beholden to a common control uh, for protecting the, the physical security of that control. So that one would be PE3, physical control access. See that one right there, PE3. So this is a common control. It's inherited by every system that is in that office. Any system that's any systems that's in the rack of servers that's in that uh, restricted area will have a control of physical access so that it's protected by, uh, of course, a door um, and uh, like a key card system maybe or a locking mechanism that only authorized people can have to come in that facility. So that is an inherited control. It's in every system that comes in there is inheriting the the that particular physical control. Now, this isn't just physical controls. You can have inherited and common controls. Common controls are inherited. So we'll just we'll refer to them as common controls. Um, those controls are uh, cannot are not only physical controls. Like you can have you can have a logging be a common control. You can you can have a personnel security be be controlled by um be a common control now what all common controls have in common is it's it is controlled by another organization a whole other organization or body or department within your organization is the, is controlling that and those are typically called a common control provider and um this is how we get into this question here so whenever we as information system security officers have to do this work we have to contact uh, the common control provider. Now it depends on what level of effort. Like if we're doing a security assessment, we would have to contact them and get information because they control it. So we have to go through them. We have to go through the gatekeepers of this particular control family. So um, let me see. Your your question was. So now that we have some idea of di difference between a normal technical security control and a common control, now let's answer this question. Okay, I have a question in regards to inheritance. What is the best practice to review current controls 
that a organization should be inheriting from an associated enclave. So they're talking about common controls from another enclave, I believe, if I'm interpreting this all right. So I've actually done this before. I've actually had to do this before on a couple different occasions. And it depends on how the organization handles it. But what I'll do is I'll just give you a couple of examples of, of how we did this. The best practice for reviewing current controls that an organization should be inheriting from another enclave. Okay, so in the private sector, I had to do this. Um, let's say we had, I'm just gonna, the names will be changed to protect the innocent. Obviously, I'm a security guy. I'm not trying to um, destroy my career by you know, using real information. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's say we were we had a healthcare uh, client, right? And the healthcare client had just bought another company. They had just bought this other company, and they this little enclave was going to inherit the controls of this other system. So these guys, the org in this case, the organization said, right now we just inherited him. And we're still going through the legal process of um, of in, of adopting all of their systems. So right now, we're not going to touch this system. I say that to say that it depends on how the organization wants to handle it. Okay, and I'll get to other examples that are probably more in line with what you want to do. So the first thing you want to do as a, as as an information security officer, as a security compliance person, is determine what the organization wants to do. All right, what is the best practice for reviewing? For reviewing, oh shoot, hold on a second. Wow, what in the heck just happened there? For re for reviewing current controls that a organization should be inheriting from a uh, associated enclave. Okay, so here's another example. So I was working for a federal organization, and their whole their whole thing was different. Um, we had. Let me see. We, what we did, was, we had. Two different enclaves um, that were touching. And so the security controls were overlapping. So one was inheriting some of the controls from the other one. Um, so the other control, the other system ha had its own security, um, sec system security plan. And this other one, we, we were developing system security plans and we're reviewing the security plan on this one. And essentially it was a cloud. It was a cloud system, federal cloud system. And we had to review the uh, existing cloud uh, system security plan and other documentation that they had. And that was not controlled by us. So what we did was we looked at our security control families right so let's say we looked at au controls since we've been talking about that one and au controls as you know is is logging controls we're looking at those logging controls but then there's overlap with with other log like they they it was a plat let's say it was a platform as a service um and that means that the other organization was using aws cloud uh to do their security so in this instance what we did was we referred to, we we reviewed those controls that they controlled that they they have complete control over those but we reviewed what they had in place to see if there's anything we can do in the documentation what we did was we referred to their document that's what we did in that particular situation it's situational right 
So if you give me a little bit more context, I might be able to answer your question effectively. In the first organization where there was two different enclaves and one had security controls and it was inheriting other security controls, they told us, don't, don't worry about it. All right. So first of all, talk to the organization. They will guide you. Right. Do not try to wing it. Do not try to improv. Ask the organization what they want you to do. Number one. Okay. And then in the second situation I told you about was a cloud-based federal system. And we we had to review our side of the controls, which was a system that's on premises. And then there was another portion of that system that was in the cloud. We didn't control the part that was in the cloud. So we had to get their documentation. And when we were reviewing our controls on on let's say AU. A AU3, we had to look at their documentation and then we were in our documents, we referred to their, we first of all reviewed their document to see if how, how they uh, talked about AU controls, that particular AU3. And then we referred to their document. We said, look, it's in their document. It's here's how they describe it. We even took the text directly from their document, and put it in our hours to address it. So uh, let me see if I answered that. Um, Review current controls that a organization should be inheriting from another associated enclave. Let me see if you gave me more examples. Um, and then you say, Bruce, it's it's the same person, just more in-depth questions um, I sent before. Um, let me see. Bruce, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, so what would be the best practice to review current controls? Number one, best practice, talk to the organization on how they want to. How, don't wing it. Don't don't do improv. Ask the organization, your organization, how we handle it. Number one, number one, because they might say, "Don't even worry about. It. Don't worry about their controls. Don't worry about these particular controls. We're worried about ours." Okay, that's number one. Um, how do you review current controls that the organization should be inheriting from another? And okay, number two, number two is this: if it's a if it's a, a common control provider. That means the other enclave and they control that piece. You have to talk to them to review those controls because you don't you don't have direct control over those. So you have to talk to the common control provider. That would be the other enclave. Right. So and that's what we did in that in the second example I gave you. We talked to them. And we said, hey, OK, OK, here's what we're doing. We're reviewing these controls. You guys control this set of controls. Can we get your do you have any documentation on it? Can we get a meeting on this? We were trying to get as much information as we could about that particular part of the uh, of the system. So we got we were able to get their documentation, read through it, and say, "Okay, here's what they're doing." So I hope that answers your question. Um, I don't maybe I'm if I hope I understood it correctly. Should it should be inherited from another associate. That's that's how I've had to do it in the past, but the number one, make sure you ask your organization how we want to treat it. And then number two, if it's if it's controlled by another organization, get as much information from them as possible to see how they're controlling it. Um, and in another situation, um, what we did was we had to get the GPO because another organization had a GPO that they controlled. And so we just got their GPO on the global policy um, I forget what the O means. <laughs> we had to look at their policies and look at see how, okay, how are they doing the, the uh, passwords? How complex are the passwords? How this, how that? Like we had to look at the actual GPO to see, to determine 
how it's affecting our system. It depends on the situation is how I'll, is, is how I could best put it. But if you follow those two things I just said, then that will, you know, make sure you um, ask your organization how we're going to treat it. Don't wing it. And then number two, ask the common control provider, whoever is controlling that, um, get some in insight into them uh, from them. And that that should help you out. Hope that answers your question. <laughs> That's how I've done it in the past. And if I'm wrong, I, there's plenty of people who follow me who have more insight on, than me on, on how to do that. Okay, somebody asked me on TikTok. Um, I have a question. What do what do a security security a cybersecurity engineer do, and what uh, what do I need to do to become one? Okay, what do we do? And okay, so this is a great question. I get this quite a bit. And and feel free, D Truth, and all the other guys who are actual subject matter experts on this particular field, feel free to chime in, and we will um talk to edug on tiktok about this so number one this is a huge field when you say cybersecurity, it's actually a very big umbrella okay cybersecurity, it can it consists of many different parts and pieces you've got let, let me just i'm just gonna enlighten you for a second and this is a good thing by the way edug because it's not all hacking that's a big misconception. It's the coolest thing out there. And that's why on TikTok, on YouTube, the, the top guys you'll notice are all like hackers, are people developing from scratch cybersecurity standards or whatever, right? It's not all like that. It's not all like that. Let me let me just enlighten you on that. I'm going to put you up on some serious game, okay? I'm going to start off with something called red teaming. This is typically what you think of as a cybersecurity person. Um, so let me let me switch screens here. And, and feel free, all you, all you old heads out there who are already in this field to enlighten us, give us more information and insight. Give me your, I wanna hear your insight into all of this. So here's red, this is what we call red teaming right here. This is like offensive security. This is like your hackers, your people attacking networks, and they have to be very, very, uh, technical they have to really know what they're doing they're very sharp they're very creative um they're these guys are like the the pilots of 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 it of, of cybersecurity. everybody wants to be these guys but it's very very difficult it's the one of the tops of the food chain but once i describe this you'll see that there's many tops of the food chain here in cybersecurity because it's a very broad field this is typically what you think of when you think uh cybersecurity hacking and then you got blue team We'll talk about purple team in a minute. It'll make more sense if I talk about blue team first. Blue team is the, the guys who defend. These are the people who track data. They do threat hunting. They remove malware. They um, It's cybersecurity analyst work. People who are looking at the code in the matrix, um, looking at all of the, the data coming, coming across the line, all that kind of stuff. Purple team is a co collaborative effort. It's, it's a combination of both. And these are the people who are cooperating in the test. Uh, they're improve. They're they're looking at both sides of the attack and the defense to figure out how can we fix our stuff. How can we fix our organization? And like they do vulnerability scanning, and um, they integrate their all of their information that they gathered from the actual reports to make their system better. Now I, I introduced you to three different parts of cybersecurity: red team who are offensive security, 
blue team, defensive, and then a, a combination of the two. But let me just let me just kind of expand this out. Let me just show you why this is that's not all that there is. Okay, there's something called the information and information um, color uh, wheel, information security wheel. Let me show you uh, a little bit more. Okay, here's more. Oh man, Let's, let me see if I can get a good one here. Uh, okay, here we go. Here we go. This is a pretty good example. I'm going to expand this. This is going to expand out even further as we go. Okay, you already talked about red team. We talked about blue team. So you have an idea of what those two is. It's, it's attackers and defenders, and the purple team is a combination of the two. Well, you also have yellow team. Uh, yellow team has people like code builders, right? And these are this is arbitrary stuff. I'm just trying to give you an, an example of different parts of the organization. Uh, you got orange team. These are people who tweak code based on the knowledge from the attacks. And then you've got green, uh, people who are, um, there are builders. Uh, they're, they're in between yellow and blue. You see the kind of color scheme here? Yellow and blue makes green. So green is a combination of yellow. It's kind of, it's very creative. And I can't remember who actually came up with this first, but it's it's very creative way to deal with this. So if you want to know who the orange team is, is you know orange and and yellow make uh, red and and yellow make orange. So you, they're a combination of these two, and then red and blue is a combination of purple. So you kind of get the idea of it's a combination of these two. the The point that I'm trying to make with this color wheel is that there's many different parts and pieces to this thing. Let me introduce you to another piece piece and part of this white team. White team is governance, risk. Uh, this is uh, risk governance, governance, risk, and compliance. That is that is the white team. These are the people who are setting up the attacks, gathering all the data. It's stuff that I do. Security compliance. Um, that is white team. Now that is four or five different parts of cybersecurity that I just showed you. But let me show you a whole nother side of this. Uh, let me see if you if you're following along. If you go to a security, if you go to a search engine, you type in uh, nice N I C E workforce security paths. You'll see a site that breaks down all the security paths. And I'll show you another one too. This one's pretty in depth. These are all the jobs in cybersecurity. There's so many. There's some in purely that are purely IT where you do some security stuff. Is there's some that are in, in Intel, there's also uh, people who have to know mathematics, scientists who do this kind of stuff. Let me see if I can find a better. There's a really good breakdown of all this stuff that I'm trying to get to that's much simpler to, to read, in my opinion. Um, this site right here has so much going on that I wrote an entire book about it that I'll be releasing within the next 30 to 60 days. Nice. Uh, Okay, here we go. I think this is it. This is it. Okay, let me show you this. So the government has broken this down into these seven areas. Analysts, cybersecurity analysts, cybersecurity that collects and operates, cybersecurity that investigates, uh, operate and maintain, oversee, and govern. There's, the point is there's a seven different, completely different categories of this. But I want to give you a bird's eye view of a few to show you how versatile and how expansive this is. I'll start off with analyst. 
So analysts is one of the ones we just, if you've been listening to me, one of the ones I talk about quite a bit, cybersecurity analysts. This specific one is for Intel. So Intel has a whole breakdown of cybersecurity people who only look at data for the purpose of breaking, uh, breaking into um, hackers. Uh, hacker information comes in and they got to figure out where this hacker comes from and all that kind of stuff. And they have to have people like uh, linguists. So this is a language analyst. Now you might be thinking, well, what is this doing in cybersecurity? Yeah, good question. Because it's, cybersecurity is much broader than you think. They need all parts and pieces of this whole puzzle to make any of this stuff work. It's not just hackers. So you need linguists sometimes because code is wit written in Russian. It's written in Cyrillic. It's written in Chinese. The code has, it's written obviously in the programming language, Python or C or whatever, but the notes will be in some other language. Or there might be Intel that's in, um, that's in the on the dark web that's written in another language and they need a linguist to come in and interpret that this language this linguist might have to know a little bit of something about cybersecurity. so if you happen to speak fluent russian if you happen to speak chinese if you happen to speak another language besides english you might be able to go into to this right here and there's tons of cybersecurity jobs that require somebody who's bilingual all right now let me show you a whole different one right here this one you might have heard of uh, investigate. This is like forensics, digital forensics, like CSI, right? You have a CSI version of cybersecurity. These, you might've heard of this one before because it's all over, but these guys work for law enforcement, counterintelligence. Um, they can work for foreign uh, law enforcement agencies. They can work for international law enforcement agencies, and they can work for the U.S. government um, doing forensic stuff. And they do things like, um, making sure like let's say you get you're in the crime division and uh, you get a hard drive and you've got to look into that hard drive to see what kinds of illegal activity was was being done and this this hacker tried to uh, delete their whole hard drive but little did they know that you have a tool that can actually still retrieve the information that they tried to delete that's where digital forensics comes in so that's a whole nother aspect of cybersecurity. and then you have aspects of cybersecurity that aren't even that technical like you got to know the basics of it but you're not doing a lot of hands-on stuff let me show you that one there's a couple actually but the one that i'm most familiar with is this one right here govern overseeing govern this is uh people who do security um cybersecurity management and the jobs here are comsec comsec guys don't really need to know a lot of a lot of uh technical stuff they need to know a little bit about uh, the uh, the crypto keys, crypto, crypto, not cryptocurrency, <laughs> crypto, crypto key management systems and things like that. But if you happen to have been in the military, you might have had run ins with with crypto um, comsec. And then another one's information system security manager work. This is kind of on par with what I do, which is security compliance. Here, Let me show you another one that's not very technical. A few, actually. Here's another one, program managers. Program managers is not typically seen as part of cybersecurity, but guess what? We can't do our job without these people. This is a big field. This is a big field that nobody's really taught. I'm so surprised people don't talk about this because let me show you something. If you go to Google and you type in program manager, program manager, let's see how much a program manager, this is gonna shock you. 
Program managers, how much does this program manager make? These guys are not technical. Program management is not technical. It's not hands-on. You barely have to know any IT. I don't think you have to know any IT, actually, because program managers do stuff for scientists and all kinds of stuff. But look at this. Look at the salary range on this. That's a program manager. So cybersecurity is not what you, is not, you've been lied to. Is <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Yes, you got your auditors. Yes, you got your, your hackers. Yes, you've got your red team people. But I'm saying like, Cybersecurity is a much bigger field than just hacking. So when you ask the question, how do I get into this? It really depends. It really depends on what you're trying to do in cybersecurity. I would tell you this, how do you get into it? If you really want to know cybersecurity, what you really want to do is start from the beginning. What's the beginning? The beginning is knowing how computers work. You got to know the basics of how computers work. If you're trying to get into cybersecurity, uh, basics meaning uh, how a computer has three main components. You've got a CPU, you've got RAM, and you've got storage. Um, RAM is the the for the most simplest way I can explain it is like uh, short term memory. Like if you are trying to do a puzzle, you got to remember where that puzzle piece was, and you got to put that. And then you've got the brain of the computer. That's the CPU. And then the storage is where you're storing your uh, videos. Like you might be, if you're recording this video right now, it's going directly on your phone. That's going into long-term storage. Whenever you're looking through your files or your pictures on your, that's all going in. That's from storage. It's, it's retrieving it from storage. Um, so those are the three components you really need to know. And let me show you a couple of resources that you can use to start, to start off this kind of stuff, to, to actually know how computers work. And then it gets into a little bit of things like networking, cloud, and a little bit of security. But once you start to understand how computers work fundamentally, your phone that you happen to be watching me right now is a computer. Your, your laptop's a computer. The server that all of this data is going onto a cloud is a computer. All these are computers, but they only have three main components. So let me show you where you need to go to actually start learning the basics of this stuff. Because nobody gets in knowing nothing. You have to start from somewhere. Let me show you where I would start off if I were you. You got to know the basics. So I would I would use, and I, I, I get mixed results from this. People say don't use it, but this is where I started. I started with CompTIA, uh, and CompTIA has different tiers that you can start off with what i like about it is that they break down they break down the stuff you really need to know and they have a beginner phase so a plus certification is really a really good place to start on the basics of of it all cybersecurity is based on i information technology information technology is computers you have to know about computers. Everybody has to know a little bit of something about this. Even your most non-technical person has to know something about information technology. So I would, here's one of the places you can start. I'll show you a couple of other ones, but here's one. So CompTIA A+, you don't even have to get this certification if you don't want, but I would because it's, it's a pretty good certification. You can actually get an entry level position with this certification alone. And I can prove that I mean, a lot of gurus are saying, oh, don't get the security, don't get the CompTIA A+. I'm telling you, it's still hot certification. It's still hot. It can still get you in a help desk position, especially with the government. Anyway, so they're teaching you hardware, networking, 
mobile devices, operating systems, how operating systems work with the hardware. And they're showing you, uh, they're, they're going through not just Windows, but Mac, um, Chrome, uh, Android, troubleshooting, virtualization and cloud computing, security, uh, and, and other basic things that you need to know. Now, this is, if you actually do take the certification, it's actually two different certifications. Um, and it's not easy if you're starting off from scratch. It's really not easy. Um, it wasn't easy for me when I first started it. Uh, but if you if you really don't know anything at all about IT, nothing at all, then what you probably want to start off is something even more fundamental, which is IT fundamentals. This tells you about the jargon. If you really have no idea, if you if you are a, a IT dummy, you don't know anything about it. You might even want to just start with this. And this is just this is not this certification will not get your foot in the door in a job, but. <laughs> but it's a great place to start to actually get to understand this stuff before you go to the A plus certification. So it, it's actually a cheap certification, but it's going to tell you the IT concepts and terminology, the infrastructure, software, applications, security, database fundamentals, software um, development. And a lot of the terms are really important because that's kind of a gotcha. That's what makes it really hard is the terminology. Look at this. You, you don't need any prior experience to actually take the certification if you want it. This certification is not going to get you jobs like an A-plus might, but it's a great place to start. So that's two different certifications right there. Another one you might want to try that I'm, I'm hearing a lot about, and I don't have this particular certification, but um, it's called Google Support IT. This also is telling you basics about um, and it's on Coursera right here. So this one right here, it allows you to enroll for free. And uh, check this out. This certification is getting people jobs. This is one of those ones that's going to get you jobs. And there's tons of, look at all these people who've taken it. Um, this, this can get you in the door, and so can A+. I would argue that A+, is better, but... Um, this one's the one that's hot right now that everybody's talking about. So this is this is another one that you you should check out if you're trying to get into this field. You got to start from somewhere, and one of the main places that you could start from is one of these certifications. You don't necessarily. I say all this to say you don't necessarily have to go to a, a college. I know how it's really expensive to go to college um, and some people can't afford it. If you can go to college, I would say that was a, the best course of action that you could do. If you can afford it, if you can afford it, I would go to, if you have the time and the money and the energy to do it, I would go get a bachelor's degree in information technology or information systems security or information systems. And then as I'm working on my, my bachelor's degree, don't waste, I'm not gonna say master's degree is a waste of time, but you can make 100,000 with a bachelor's degree. That's all I'm saying. A plus will get you in the job as of an entry level uh, position. I mean, a, a associate's degree will get you in in an entry level position, but a bachelor's degree will will get you will, can make you six figures. While you're working on your bachelor's degree in IT, be working on some sort of a, um, a certification while you're, and then also be working on getting some real world uh, experience. Now, if you're wondering, like, Bruce, how do I do all of that? I did it. I did at a full-time job. I was in the military. Uh, where I was full-time in the military. Had a kid 
and I was going to school and I was working in IT. Like it was, it's ridiculous. And I was working IT in the military, mind you, but it was hard. So, and I went to two different war zones. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. Like I just stopped at nothing to learn what I needed to know, learn. I knew this field was going to blow up and it did. It did really, really well. So if I can do it, you can do it. You just got to put the time in. Okay. I think I beat that one to death. Let me see if there's any. Uh, let me see here. Let me see here. So let me see some other questions here. Um, Emas. Um, see. Another question here is security compliance in cybersecurity is is always big for uh, for there is always the, oh, it's, it's always big and always will be in demand to protect information and assets. Absolutely. I agree with this. It's something that's not talked about. It's not glamorous. It's not in movies. Um, you know, you're not going to see it in Hollywood. You know, in Hollywood, they all talk. They always talk about hackers, forensics and uh, maybe analysts. They talk about those three analysts. You can see like in um, that movie, uh, Mission Impossible has an analyst in it. Like Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol analysts, and they they normally in those government espionage ones, they always talk about analysts. Some of those guys are cybersecurity analysts, and then so they always talk about that one, glamorous. And then they always talk about hackers, of course, everywhere. Hackers, this hackers, bad hackers, hackers, good hackers, 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 hackers. That's what they talk about. Um, they even referred to Je uh, Edward Snowden as a hacker, and he was more of an analyst, to be honest with you. He was more of an analyst type person. Uh, but again, analysts and, and hackers, and then the other ones, forensics, CSI, CSI, New York, CSI, you know, you name it. But they don't talk about security compliance, and it's one of the biggest fields we need people in. There was this um, huge... Uh, briefing from the White House that said that there are 700,000 jobs that are the positions that need to be filled. And most of those are either in defense, cybersecurity defense jobs or security compliance jobs. Because security, without security compliance, all these people getting hacked because, because they're not doing security compliance. If they did proper security compliance, they would be a very hard target. Even if they got hacked, the hacker wouldn't get very far. And that one Uber hack, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but that one Uber hack, the reason why the hacker was able to get as far as they did is because they didn't have basic security compliance inside their network. It's hard. Security compliance is difficult because it's very costly. It takes it takes time. Nobody wants to do change. And security compliance is forcing the organization to change to manage the risk effectively. And that all that takes takes money. They want to make that money. They want to make that that income from the operation side, but they don't want to spend the money on the security, the security side. That's what's happening. So somebody asked me, what about company specific uh, certif uh, com company specific certifications like Cisco? You mean vendor specific? Yeah. So, yeah, also known as vendor level certifications. I would say those cert vendor level certifications are good, um, but there's a bit of a. 
Cisco certifications are the best, probably probably among the best vendor level certifications because Cisco has been a mainstay in, in the U.S. as far as networking is concerned. They have a like almost monopoly, not a monopoly because you got Juniper, you got Palo Alto, you got all these ones that are kind of coming in on their space and, and, cru- and they're slowly creeping in on their on their uh, market share of the networking space. But um, I want I want you guys to see something. Really cool. Let me show you guys this tool that that could help you out here as far as uh, what what has been asked of of me. They said, what about vendor level certifications? Let me show you a really good breakdown of certifications. It's from a dude named. Hold on. Let me switch my screen real quick. Wish that was an easier way to switch the the, the screen on uh, TikTok. That would be really cool if they did that. Okay, so I'm at I'm on a search engine and I'm gonna type in, you can follow along with me. I'm gonna type in uh security, whoops, security. And one of these days I'm gonna go to the wrong site. It's gonna be really embarrassing live. Security certification progression. And this chart right here is gonna be a site called pauljeremy.com. This is, I guess, a security dude who puts this site out and I found it very, very uh, useful. He should put some ads on here or something to make some money off this because this is a really good tool. This right here, this progression chart, if you can see this, has a breakdown of something like 500 different um, uh, controls. Excuse me, 500 different controls um, sorry, 500 different security uh, IT certifications, security IT certifications in particular. It does have vendor level certifications on here, a mini. And I'll, I'll read some of them off on you and then uh, to you guys. And I'll, I'll give you my, my take on vendor level certifications with my own personal experience. All right. So first of all, let me, let me kind of show you what's going on here. This color coded, like the green symbolizes communication and network security certifications. Um, the orange is security architecture and engineering certification. So an example of this would be some of the SANS courses like uh, GCASA or what's a good one? Um, what's a really good one that's popular? Um, they've got uh, A plus certification is is a good one here. A plus that I just was talking about. Uh, MTSCF. And um, let me see if there's another good one here. C M C S F. I believe that's a Microsoft certification. But a good one here is A plus certification. Then the black is security and risk uh, management. A good one here would be the CAP. C I S S M. What's another good one? Um, security plus is a good one here. Uh, then they have the purple, which is security assessment uh, training. So a good certification here would be uh, these are, I think, a lot of vendor level certifications, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a good one. There's no popular ones. Oh, CISA, CISA. Um, let me see. And then you've got over here the the I don't know what color this is. Orange, <laughs> uh, red. I guess this is red. A uh, maroon. Security operations. So this one would be OSCP, which is a popular hacking certification, and probably CEH is in here too. I, I imagine GPIN is in here. So these are the different categories that he's broken it down into. 
And then you, if you read it from bottom to top, it's beginner, intermediate to expert. That's how you read this thing. And um, a, the difference between a vendor level cert, like a Cisco certification and a, a, um, a industry agnostic certification is huge. And let me give you an example of, of two of these. So a, let's start with a, an industry agnostic certification. There's a few here. So these ones that are going across the screen here, the CISSP, the CASP, and uh, let me see another one here, Security Plus. These are all vendor agnostic. That means they're not based off of any, they're not based off Cisco, they're not based off Microsoft, they're not based off of Splunk or Choose, choose Your Vendor. They're not based off of any of those. But let me choose a couple that are vendor specific. Red Hat certification, Red Hat certified system administrator. That is a vendor level certification. Very specific to, it's not going to teach you anything about Windows. It's just Red Hat system administration. Uh, another one would be, like he mentioned, Cisco certifications. And those would be in the networking sector over here would be, let me see if I can find one, Cisco. Where are the Cisco certifications at? It should be here. So C C CCNP, there you go. CCNP, like CCNP, CCNA, CCE, CCE and T, all of those will be over here. Those are all what you call industry level, like not industry level, those are vendor specific certifications. Now the difference between these two would be that, and let me just tell you my experience with these. I want to tell you my experience with this. Very specific experience. All right. So I have Security Plus. I have a CISSP. I have a CAP. And I've got several other vendor agnostic certifications. And then I have some vendor level certifications. I've got, I've got one for uh, Recorded Future. You probably never even heard of that, but it's uh, for doing cybersecurity intelligence. Uh, I've got one for Qualys, which is a vulnerability scanner. I've got one for, um, I've had one for Cisco, but that expired. Um, I've got several other vendor levels. What happens is I get into an organization and like, hey, we need you to take the certification. You need to be qualified on this or that. I take their training. I do the labs or whatever, and then I get the certification. That's why I have so many certifications. Uh, so the difference is this, okay? My CISSP is still relevant. Uh, all I got to do is maintain my my CC the CPEs, and it's relevant at every organization I go to. My Security Plus, I got to maintain. I I, I, don't, I don't think I, I'm not sure if I even have Security Plus anymore. I might have let it expire. I got the old one that never expired. Anyway, neither here nor there. But it's it's gotten me jobs before. That, that's my point. The Cisco certification, when I had it, it was fire. But anybody who had a Cisco, anybody who had Cisco uh, would hire me, would, would see the CCNA and be like, that's all I need to see. And they would hire me. Somebody said, uh, you would not get fired suggesting a Cisco solution. Yeah. So Cisco, Cisco is is fire. Let's, uh, it's kind of a bad example because it's so good. It's been so good for so long because they kind of not have a monopoly, but they are very close to having a monopoly in the U.S. Some a couple that I that didn't go well would be ArcSight. So I had an ArcSight certification that lasted about 
I got all this training. It took me about six months to get all this training and build an arc size, a couple arc size systems and everything. And then within about three, four years, they got taken out by Splunk. Now you nobody even talks about ArcSight. Um, I mean, I still get from time to time job offers, but Splunk has taken over. So now the certification to get is because the industry is because Splunk dominates now dominates this the uh, that industry. So if Cisco, God forbid, Cisco gets taken out by Juniper or Palo Alto or whoever, Huawei or some, I don't know, whatever, whatever is probably never going to be Huawei, but that was a joke. But, <laughs> but or maybe who, who knows? But if it gets taken out, but guess what? Your certifications mean less. I'm not saying that they're useless, but they they lose their impact because the marketability of that particular certification is gone. So that's all I'll say about it. I'm not telling you don't get vendor level certs, um, but I would put the, the vendor level agnostic ones first. So that would be Security Plus, that'd be CISSP, that'd be not network plus but i don't know how good that one is for networking to be honest with you if you're gonna take june uh, networking in the u.s it's dominated by three different ones juniper cisco and probably palo alto I'm, I'm i'm probably missing like three or four before palo alto but if you know those three in the u.s then you'll be okay i think so that's just uh what i know i'm just telling you guys off the top of my head what i know about it um, love how knowledgeable you are. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I've been doing this for a while, so I'm just telling you from my experience. Um, Miguel says, uh, what training tools do you recommend for HBSS and, a and ACAS for someone moving into DOD information system security positions? Um, yeah, so um, <laughs> I saw that one. <laughs> okay, anyway. Uh, so HBSS is basically McAfee, EPO, and ACAS is Nessus. So Nessus you can actually get for free off of Nessus, it's off Tenable's website, and download it on your computer and start messing around with it. And HBSS, I'm not sure if you can get free training off of off HBSS, but the best training tools will probably be on the DOD sites. Let me let me see if I can show you what I mean. The DOD has some really good training for HBSS, and uh, it's I believe it's on DISA. What? Let me see. ACAS training. It's on a DISA site, I believe. Yep, there it is. Right. I think this is unless it just spamming me with nonsense. Let me show you what I'm what I'm talking about here on the screen. Um, so all I did was I typed in. I went to a search engine, I typed in ACAST training, and you'll see DISA.mil training, and they have a ton of free training for you that's not accessible to anybody outside of the military or federal government. This is not, this is not the site. Okay, let me show you. Um, they have so much training on this stuff. I they may even have EMAS training. Yeah, here's, here's a lot of the training right here. Uh, let me see, cyber training. Let's see if we can find specifically ACAS. Um, let me see, ACAS. Let's see if we can find it. I'm pretty sure, like, you might even have access to a search, search results. If you have access to a federal site, 
then you should actually go train, go look for this yourself. Because I have a limited, I don't have access to these sites. So I have limited, um, limited um, access to these sites. But yeah, here's ACAS. Um, access to ACAS stuff, posters. And um, ACAS technical training. Man, this is not, see, us public people, us mere civilians don't have access to the stuff that you have trained, but they have, they're going to have the best training for you. Um, EPO, let's see, EPO, no, it's called HBSS. No, that's the wrong search. Let me see. HBSS, HBSS. I know whenever I worked for the government, they had so much training for ACAS and in uh, HBSS. It was ridiculous because they're working directly with the companies and the companies give them these crazy deals on training. Uh, like th hundreds of thousands of dollars in training that's that's out there for you that I, that is not accessible to the public. So I'm just on cyber.mills, public.cyber.mill, and I'm searching training and you will probably see more results than I will. And if you have access internally to their sites, you will see way more stuff than me uh, for their training. They have the best, they have the best training for sure. Look at this HBSS uh, agent handler, STIG memo. So yeah, this, this would be the best place to go to. They have guides, security guides, um uh, all everything uh, benchmarks the scap documentation um everything is gonna you, you you have the best access to if especially if you're already in iso and you're working for the government man you have so much training that you i would take it full advantage of it but it's probably more than likely on your internal network it's it's not going to be accessible to me to the public that being said though if you happen to be public all he's talking about, ACAS is just tenable. So if you go to tenable, tenable uh, Nessus, there's a free downloadable that you can get for, uh, I don't know, 14 days or something. You can download, what site is this? So the first site I was on, uh, it's on uh, public.cyber.mil. This site is tenable and you can get Nessus for free for like seven days or something. Um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is right here. You can try it right here. There it is right, that's Tenable, which is Nessus or some variant of Nessus. Here it is right here. And the other one is called EPO. EPO, EPO. Uh, it's called McAfee EPO. The, the government calls it HBSS because it's it's a contract that that McAfee won. McAfee Epo. Ebo. McAfee Ebo. <laughs> yeah, so here's here's the security protection, McAfee security protection software that no, this is for the general public. So they <laughs> The government has some sort of high, they're using like the enterprise version of, uh, of McAfee's best security uh, product. 
and I'm looking for that. It's called ePolicy e Orchestrator. I believe this is it right here. This is what the government has. This is not a secret. I'm not giving away the government's secrets. This is publicly available information, but I don't know if you can get this product for free to train on it. But um, if you can, like you could just load it up on your computer and start messing around with it. The, the tenable one, you definitely can. And somebody said, MD says, most, most of the government trainers, uh, training requires government supervision approval. Yeah, true. Yep, some of it does. Uh, I remember there was ACAST as a plug-in for Nessus. Ah, okay. Thank you for clarifying that, MD. I appreciate that. Uh, so ACAST is a plug-in in the Nessus scan options. All right, there you go right there. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I believe you can get access. Thank you. Somebody on TikTok. Holy crap, man. This is crazy. You guys, you guys, man, there's, there's some people who's connected here. Somebody said public.cyber.mil. Thank you for that, Brian. I appreciate that. That's the site right there. Yeah. If you go there, but internally, like Miguel, if you go internally, you'll, you'll find way more resources that we have access to. You'll actually find that ACAST plug-in more than likely if you're an ISO. And you could, if I were you, I would ask my supervisor. I'd say, look, I want to get access to this, to this EPO. I want to get access to ACAST. You know, I want to train on it and, and he'll hook you up because they want you to, the more you learn, they, they're hungry for people who want to learn who want to get off TikTok for a little bit and actually learn some stuff, read some books. <laughs> uh, D-Truth says security compliance and cybersecurity is always okay. I already read that one. All right. So let me see here. Thank you guys for watching. I really appreciate everybody who's been, uh, who's been on here. Uh, somebody said Network Plus opens no doors. Let's verify that. I'm interested in that. Let's see if it opens up doors. Indeed. Let's go to the handy dandy Indeed com. He may be right about that. Let's see. I'm on Indeed.com. And what I do to look up marketability is do this. I do this. Watch this. If I type in CISSP, look how many jobs it comes up with. 18,000 jobs of people, of organizations, of employers who want you to have a CISSP. That's awesome. Let's look up. Let's look up. Uh, mm, let's see. What's a good one? CISA. Look at CISA is, I know it's hot. 9,000. That's still good, man. 9,000. That's really good. But let's let's limit the posting. Let's say I want stuff within the last 14 days because these are real, real results. In the last two weeks, 2,000. That's still really good. So these are all hot still. And look at the job titles and how much they pay. This is how I look at marketability for each one of the certifications. Look at that. That's not bad. Look at that. That's that's a six-figure job right there. That's CSA. CSA is no joke. Now let's look at CASP. CASP is going to have a little bit less, but still still not bad. Okay. A thousand. That's still good. Okay. Cybersecurity officer, principal. Now let's look at security, security plus, and then we'll do network plus. Security CompTIA. Security plus. Look at that. Search results already hot. So Security Plus, I already know, is good. Um, it's looking for, let me see what happened there. It's still looking for CISA. Okay, look at that. That's not bad. Help Desk, IS, ISSO, Information Security Officer, Linux. Look at that. Security Plus is hot like fire. All right, now let's look at Network Plus. 
let's verify what my man just said there. Network Plus. Now, how many jobs are for Network Plus? Oh, there's some. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. Oh, wait. Let me see. What? This job came up too for Network Plus? Um, hmm. So there are some jobs for Network Plus. I didn't know. I thought it would be zero. But I think it's looking at CompTIA, though. So I don't know how valid that is. I don't know how. Let's see. Wait, wait. Hold up. This is a network specialist job. See, CompTIA, they're still looking for Security Plus, not necessarily net, Network Plus. I'm skeptical. I think he's right. I don't think that Network Plus is hot. <laughs> I don't think it's good. I don't I don't think I you know why I say that? Because I, I used to have a network plus. I actually still do have a network plus and uh, nobody's asking me about the network plus. Not not a single human being. Security plus. Yes. And you can see that the only reason that the search results are coming up at all is because I put CompTIA in there. If I, if I remove this. If I remove this, I bet you we won't we won't find much network. Yeah, see see how the results are not populating for Network Plus? Network, oh, here we go, Network Plus. Maybe 13, 100 billion jobs, holy crap. More than the CISSP? I am skeptical. I think it's just highlighting anything with the word network in it, or plus. Network or plus, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. Okay, let so let's, let's narrow this, the search has to be good. Network, let's actually just type in Network Plus. I'm just saying, yeah, man, I think you're right. <laughs> I, think, I don't want to lead people astray, man. <laughs> All right, so Network Plus. I was trying to talk about like something that was that was not um, agnostic, you know, that, that's not specific to any vendor that's, that's agnostic. But I think you're right. I can't find – I'm sure they're there. I I'm just having trouble finding a network plus jobs. Okay, here we go. This got to be it. This has got to be network plus. I'm not finding any network plus. I see CompTIA. I'm not seeing network plus. It's just amazing to me. I mean, I'm not seeing anything. Like normally when, when a certification doesn't have many, it'll look like this. Like if I type in ISC to cap, I know this one doesn't have many. It'll have like five or something. 104, look at this, 100, 145 for ISC to cap. It's not a bad certification. It's okay. It's very specific to, they really want us person to know NIST 800 for this one. But yeah, it's there. It's, it's there. Yeah, there's cap right there. There it is. But Network Plus, uh, Network Plus Plus proves you can plug in a router. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh man! That's just that's just not right, man. That's just not right. I have I have a Network Plus, man. Come on. <laughs> it's you know a Network Plus is really good for entry level. I would say to learn, like if you really don't know anything. If you're having trouble understanding the concepts of a network, of networking, 
then it's good to like, you probably don't have to sit for the, I would not recommend necessarily sitting for the test because you probably wasted your money. Uh, no refunds. <laughs> oh man, you're cracking me up, man. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, guys, I'm gonna, I'm out of here. Um, I appreciate everybody who, uh, who interacted with me. I do this once a week. I'll try to do this more times a week, but I have a job. Um, so I, I'll be working more. Oh, network plus. That's a good one. I love that one. All right, guys, that's it. I'm out of here. Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate everybody. Peace.